Okay, let's open our Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Let's go back to the passage we've been looking at this week. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 13. We're going to be, we've been looking at verses 13 through 16. Uh, and we have noticed that the basic commandment here is, I give thee charge that thou keep this commandment. That's the basic commandment. Uh, we're not going to look at that this morning yet. We're going to look at that tonight. And it tells us how to keep it and until when keep it. <clears throat> and, uh, but tonight I'd like to, I mean this morning, I'd like to start reading in verse 12. And we're going to read on because what we have studying about this, year, this week about God, we have been studying how or laying the foundations for how to fight the good fight. <clears throat> and I'd like to, we might, I hope with the Lord's direction tonight to speak about that. But let's start reading now in verse 12. Uh, and I think this is the commandment he's talking about. There's two of them here. Let's start in verse 12. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. Tonight we want to look at, Lord willing, the commandment and what he tells us to do and how we should live and fight the good fight of faith. What we have spent the week doing so far, except for last night with the youth, we have been basically looking at who God is because you see the, there's a word in Spanish here that I can't think of in English, maybe some of my, is respaldo, the backing, the foundation he gives for the commandment. Nate, can you help me on respaldo in English? Backing, the backing or the foundation, the reason behind the commandment. We've been looking at that this week. And I think that, if I'm not mistaken, that is one of the big problems we have, is not seeing enough who God is. And we have looked at the person, the character of God, to help us understand, and I think that will help us understand, but I don't think, think we need to talk as much about the good fight of faith after laying the foundation. But seeing who God is, because he says, I charge thee in the sight of God. And then he gives us these lists of who God is. That we should live in the sight of God. And then he says another phrase, and before the Lord Jesus Christ. I charge thee in the sight of God who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus. Maybe you've wondered why I wait till today to speak about Christ Jesus. I think understanding who God is and the character of God, and that is God the Father and God the Son, both. But now today I want to look a little bit at the witness of Jesus Christ. And this message is a beautiful message, not because I'm here. I'm not talking about the message that I have on paper here. I'm talking about the message of who Jesus Christ is. That is a beautiful message. And I've laid this, tried to lay the foundation of who God is to help us to understand a little bit about the work of Jesus Christ. 
We also need to keep this commandment before Christ Jesus, in the presence of Jesus. We need to live in the presence of Jesus. And who, I'm sure I can't, express the beautiful story of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we look at God who quickeneth all things, God who is life, God who is power, God who is sovereign, the great, big, wise, and wonderful God, the God who is wisdom, who, you know, throughout all the galaxies, I think just to impress us how great he is and how small we are. The details of creation and all so many things that he planned. His great big mind. And this God created us with a purpose. We talked about that this week. And the purpose is that we live in his image, in his likeness. And we do, we as human beings can do it in a much better way than the flowers, the birds, and the insects is show the image of Jesus in creation. That's the purpose. We've also spoken about how sin has destroyed us and we are all sinners. And sin is simply living outside the purpose of God, resisting God, going against God. And now, Jesus. Who is Jesus? Jesus is God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, is God. Jesus, it says here, witnessed a good confession. Now this word witnessed, I had to look at that a little bit, and in Spanish it says a little different. It's not talking, you know, I can witness something, I can stand here passively and watch my two nephews here see them do something. If they pinch each other, I can sit here and witness them. But the word, use of the word witness here is not the passive sitting back and seeing something happening, but is the positive um, verb, word of God, the logos, giving witness. He is the witness of who God is. And that's right. The, the English is right. Maybe it's a little old English use. I'm not sure. I'm not used to the English. But it's not the passive witness sitting back and being a witness, but it is being a witness. It is the logos. It is the word of God. This great big God that we've been talking about. Jesus is his word in flesh. Is the expression. In Revelations 1, 5, and it says, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his blood. Jesus, the faithful witness. Revelations 3, 14, and, the, and unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Jesus, the Amen. Jesus, the faithful and true witness of who God is. It says the amen. That word is the same word in Greek as when Jesus said, verily, verily. In other words, Jesus said, amen and amen, I say unto you. You must be born again. Or amen and amen. He did at different times. But Jesus himself is the amen. He is the expression. He is the, the living word of God among men. And when we see Jesus, and we can see him in the written word, we can see him if we seek him. 
Not only is it a written word on paper, but as we read the message, it burns in our hearts. The person of Jesus Christ is a real power that meets us and can live within us the power of the living God, the eternal God in the presence of in the person of Jesus Christ and in the Holy Spirit in our lives. Jesus, the faithful witness. You remember the question that Thomas asked Jesus, and Jesus said, If ye had known me, you should have known my Father also. He that has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus is the expression of the Godhead. And we see that in him. He was able to raise the dead at his word. A body that had been dead and the blood had dried up and all the cells had were dead. At his word, he recreated life. At his word, when he, when he, he took the bread and the fishes, the little boy's bread and fishes, and he, you know, started break, he prayed and he started breaking this and he started giving this out. After about 15 people, they were eating created bread. They were eating fish that if you were to put under the microscope, it was real fish. But fish had never been in water. Never been. He created fish. Baked and ready to go. Salting and everything. He break bread and he was creating bread and they were eating created bread. And the bread that were come from, if you just said in a microscope, it was barley probably, the poor man's bread. And it was grains of barley in it. But barley that had never been on a plant. He created barley. What do you do with it? Grind it. What do you call that? Bake it and eat it. He was a creator God and he showed us in so many. He could take a crippled man and at his word just create the muscle and put him back and make him jump and run. And in so many ways he showed to us the power that he was the creator God. Jesus. To know him is to know life. To know him is the fulfillment, the greatest thing a human being can ever do. Oh, I wish I could, young boys and young girls, if you could catch on to this vision. The most wonderful thing a human being can do is to know Jesus. And not just know about him, but to know him. As the Bible uses the term, to know your wife. There's a thing of relationship. And fellowshipping and knowing Jesus because Jesus is in me and I'm living in Jesus to know him. It is coming back to the purpose we were created for to show the image and the likeness of God. Jesus. To fight the good fight, to live the faith is to live with Jesus. And I've said that again and it's really sort of simple. <laughs> Just live for Jesus. Now, I have a question. Well, I could go on about this thing about Jesus. Jesus is the manifest person of God. And if we study him, and I would just like to, let's go back and read the stories of Jesus again and see the beauty and the power. And I like to throw this in. I've been thinking about this recently. You know, this thing of the right concept of God and the right concept of Jesus. Do you know people are fabricating a different Jesus today? Do we really know the real Jesus? 
And I'd like to encourage us to go back and study the Word of God, study the Gospels, and study who Jesus was. You know, Jesus was the kind man who held the children on his laps. Jesus was the man who, who said to the adulterous woman, Neither do I condemn thee, go and sin no more. That's precious to me. As soon after I was born again, I remember singing that song, Neither do I condemn thee, and just tears running down my cheeks because I knew it was me. That's Jesus. Come unto me all that are labor and are heavy laden, and he'll receive all of us. That's Jesus. Jesus the loving. Jesus the humble one that walked around in poverty and didn't have a bed. So poor. And yet so true. So beautiful. But we need to remember all of Jesus. Now, this is something that sort of recently he has impressed on my mind. The Jesus who says... He looks us in the eye and he says, if you deny me, I will deny you. It's the same Jesus. The Jesus who says, and this is startling to all of us, and we need to look at Jesus. The Jesus who says, you can do a lot of things. You can do prophesy in my name. You can preach in my name. But if you don't obey me, I will someday look at you and say, I never knew you. The same Jesus. And I'd like to encourage us to remember, and Jesus said when he went and looked at the wedding feast and he saw one man that didn't have the right garments on, and I don't think it's talking about clothes, but the man had not, was not living in Jesus and was not having the, the, the heart condition, was not right with God. And Jesus said, take him and bind him hands and feet and cast him into everlasting darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus said that. So we need to have a balanced view, a total view of who Jesus is and who God is. And we spoke a little bit about that this week. That God is so good. God is so wonderful. God is light. God is truth. And if we separate ourselves from him, if we resist him and we rebel against him, we ourselves are choosing death because he is life. Jesus. Now I'd like to talk a little bit now. What does it, why does he say here? I think... We can understand this up to now. Jesus was the Amen. Jesus is the faithful witness. Jesus is the Word of God. Jesus is the Logos of God. But here he says the witness that he gave or the testimony that he gave before Pilate. Now why does he focus in on that? In this case, he's focusing on the witness he gave before Pilate. And uh, here again, there's so many things maybe we could think about. But I, I have basically two things that I can see of him, and maybe you have more. The one is his willingness to suffer in silence. And I'm not going to spend much time. We mentioned that the other evening when we talked about the, the submissive, broken, surrendered heart. And I asked the question, does God have that heart? We could say God does not need a submissive, broken heart because he is ruler of rulers. Everyone listens to him, and he needs to listen to no one. But Jesus Christ showed us that the quality of a broken heart, God himself has it. Because that is part of his character and it's part of the beauty of us and it's the way we need to be like him. Because we see it before Pilate when they mocked him, when they spit him, when he had spit in his beard and the crown on his head and the blood running down and they mistreated him, they mocked him. And he stood there in silence and accepted it. He didn't defend himself. We talked about that. We don't need to defend ourselves. Let God take care of that. And God did. God raised him up. 
at the resurrection. And not only did he raise him up in the resurrection, we forget the glory and the power of ascension. In Ephesians chapter 1 it says, And he was ascended. And as he was ascending back up to the throne, I'm sure the demons and the powers of darkness trembled. God lifted him up. But he was first willing to humble himself and die. That's a secret for all of us. We need that. I could get away, get carried away with that part. We need to go to our Gethsemane, and we have our Gethsemanes. We need to go and die, and we need to go to our crucifixion. And then let Jesus lift you up. Don't worry about defending yourself. Let it go. But I'd like to look at another aspect now about Jesus' witness before Pilate. That's a powerful witness. What's the other witness that he gave? What did he say? He didn't say much, did he? What did he say before Pilate? Pilate was frustrated. This man, he, he could tell. This man was different. He could tell there was something about this man. He didn't want to, didn't want to judge him. And so frustrated, he says, They say you're a king. Are you a king? Tell me, are you a king? And Jesus said, I am. I am. But, I'm just going to say it in our way of saying, but I'm not a king the way you think about a king. I'm a king of another kingdom. If my subjects were, if this were a kingdom of this world, my men would be out here fighting. Peter made that mistake. He tried and it didn't work. Um, he says, yes, I'm a king, but I'm a king of another world. I'm not a king as you think of a king. I'm a spiritual king of a spiritual kingdom. And you know, it's interesting. I've been thinking some about this, you know, that a spiritual king. You know, why didn't Jesus? Did you ever think of this? Do you know that after Jesus was resurrected, why didn't Jesus ride back through Jerusalem again on the donkey? Or why didn't he get a big white horse? Why didn't after his resurrection, do you realize that the Pharisees and scribes never saw the resurrected Jesus? The only people that saw the resurrected Jesus were the believers. Why didn't Jesus go back into Jerusalem? Hey, here, ha, ha, ha. I'm victorious. Look at me. He didn't. He didn't even bother. He didn't even bother going back to the Pharisees. They didn't even see him. And that's why they still say they did now. He didn't resurrect. But Jesus manifested himself to the believers. And to the believers, he is power. He is life. Because it is a spiritual kingdom. Jesus is not interested in going back and making a big show. It's good for us to remember today. At home, some of the brethren asked me about Ken Miller's trial. And I told him about this. You know, why doesn't God get up and vindicate himself? <laughs> you look at history again and again. God's people have suffered and died. And the enemy thinks they're overcoming. But God knows and his people know who's victorious. His kingdom keeps moving forward. Victorious. It's a spiritual kingdom. 2 Corinthians, no, 1 Corinthians 2. A spiritual kingdom. He is, he is God among us. He is Emmanuel. He is God here. But he's not the big 
flashy human show. He shows the power and the beauty of a spiritual kingdom, of eternal life. 2 Corinthians 2, 12 to 14, Paul says like this, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things we also speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual kingdom, the spiritual world, spiritual wisdom. And I don't know, I've thought about how Jesus taught. You know, Jesus taught parables and used parables. And you know what his reason was? He says that so that the ones who wanted to hear and wanted to know could understand, and the ones who didn't want to know wouldn't understand. I'll admit to you, that's not my method. I try to make my, I pray that God would help me make my messages simple so everyone can understand. (laughs) Maybe I'm doing it wrong. Because Jesus used parables for that purpose. The ones who had their hearts right would hear and understand. And the ones who didn't, they came critical. Let's say, What's the big deal about that? Just told us a bunch of stories. Didn't get anything out of it. <laughs> yeah. The spiritual kingdom, spiritual wisdom. <clears throat> and I think it's good for us to remember, and I'd like to just focus a little on this this morning, what is spiritual wisdom? What is the spiritual life? I won't be able to handle it. This is so much. There's so much in this. But, you know, spiritual wisdom is not necessarily some kind of a mystical wisdom out there that's hard to get to. Spiritual wisdom is not necessarily uh, that certain men have it in the church and others don't. Well, well, yeah, that is true. It just says it here. A carnal man does not have it, and a spiritual man does. But a spiritual mind is, is, is simply believing in the spiritual world. Believing that Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. Believing that God is victorious. Believing that no matter what happens, no matter how many Christians they kill, what if they'd start killing us like they used to? They'd probably start with Leon. And they start killing the ministers, and they get rid of those first. And then they start, and we start after putting up new leaders, and they start killing people. And it looks like everything's going backwards. But the spiritual people know the kingdom of God marches on. You remember back in history, the Roman Catholic Church sent the Crusades to the valley of Albi. Albi, I'm not sure how that in English. Albi, the Albigenses, the Albigenses, how do you say that in English? And they sent, these, they sent the army down and they said, kill it. In the valley of Albi in France, there was all kinds of revival and people were coming to the Lord. And he was going to destroy them. And they asked him, they asked the Pope. They said, who's, how do we know who's Catholic and who's Christian? He said, not Christian, they said Catholic and who's heretic. And the Pope said, kill them all and let Peter sort them out at the gate. Um, Peter Peter didn't sort them out. I'm sure Jesus did. But the Pope was wrong which ones went in and which ones stayed out, I think. But, you know, they did that. They went to that valley and they wiped it out. Today we don't even know too well what the the Albigenses, I'm going to say it in Spanish. I'm not sure how to pronounce it in English. We don't know what they believe. They wiped them out. They're gone. Spain, the story of the Reformation in Spain is a wonderful story. Not many people know about it. I got out some books and read some stories that just get me all excited. 
Because the Spanish Inquisition, what we know is the Spanish Inquisition, wiped them out. But God knows. Every single one of those men that were killed, that are in the kingdom, God's kingdom is moving on. Victorious. And what the Pope did in the valley there in France, he just put a, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of people, I'm saying hundreds or thousands, I'm not sure how many were killed. He just put them right into heaven. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? But we look at things spiritual. Spiritual wisdom is to look at spiritual values. To look at who God is and look at what he's doing and to know that he's victorious. Spiritual values also to remember. We notice first the spiritual thing. We notice first, we're concerned first about the condition of the heart. When we see someone with problems, and, you, and the problems are all kinds of manifestations of problems, you know, and we don't, a spiritual person doesn't think just about the manifestations. The spiritual person thinks about the condition of the heart. Thinks about the heart. We focus on the heart. That inner being. And that's why I said last night, I encourage you young people, if you want to be a Christian, you are first a Christian in your heart. Of all of us, we're first a Christian in our heart. We have to be, pay special attention to the inner chamber, to the inside, to how I think, my attitudes, my purity. Spiritual wisdom is simply focusing on the making the spiritual side more important than the physical side, the material side. A spiritual person sees someone with problems, and he doesn't just see the problems, he sees the heart that has a need. And we evaluate and we think things and we look at things. We're making these choices because we're more concerned about the spiritual part than the physical part. What I'm trying to say is spiritualism is not necessarily something out there unreachable, out there we have to really try to get away out there. It's simply thinking how Jesus thinks. It's looking at the hearts of man and it's in my own condition. I don't know about you, brethren, ministers here, but I've been coming to learn as I get older that it's much more important I prepare my heart to preach than what I put on this paper. Often the paper just gets sort of laid by, but it's more important I get my heart ready so that the Spirit of God can move. And in these meetings or tonight, today, right now, it's not as important what this man is saying. What's important is what the Spirit of God is doing in your hearts and in mine. I told you, he spoke to me this week about a need in my heart. We focus on the spiritual side. The spiritual thing is the first. And it's not just an, that was the big mistake of the Pharisees, the scribes and the Pharisees. They had simply, they only focused on the outside. And as long as everything on the outside was okay, they thought everything was okay. But we know that that's not the case. It's the inner chamber of the heart. Watch the heart. And if I ask you, how are you doing spiritually? What do you think? If I would ask you, or tomorrow Leon would ask you, or Gerald, I'm sorry, I keep using Leon. We've been having a good time together and staying there. But any of your ministers, let's say, let's say Gerald or, um, or Rich would ask you, how are you doing spiritually? What would you think? Would you think, oh, I go to church every Sunday, and I have my devotions, I pray before I eat, or would you think, what's happening in the inner chamber? What am I struggling with? No, victory begins in the heart. We often make the mistake, we think victory is things we do out here. 
but victory is first in here. The inner chamber is the Spirit of God in control of my attitudes. My, the purity, purity and a thing of pure living, pure lives is first of all a condition in my heart. It's the way I think about sexual things. It's the way I think about boys and girls or men and women. And that's what spiritual wisdom simply is, is putting the emphasis on the spiritual part. And that is where Jesus meets us. I hope we understand that. Jesus doesn't meet you. Jesus is not standing up here preaching at you. I think I have Jesus in my heart today. I, I think I do. But where Jesus is meant you is the Jesus inside you. The presence of God and when you leave here. And if I can, with what the Lord gave me this morning, if I can encourage the Holy Spirit to work in your life and you can turn it loose and let the Spirit work in your lives. 2 Corinthians says, For we walk in the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. And bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. What have we been saying this week about Jesus, about following Jesus? Obedience of Christ. We walk in the flesh, we live in the flesh. But our weapons and our warfare is not in the flesh. The main fighting with the Satan is not with the hand, it's not with the feet. It's the inner struggle and the spirit. The struggle with our pride. And it says here, imaginations and high things that exalt themselves. We have this, and it's true. We're thinking about high things and out there in the political world. and um, I don't get very interested in that part. But anyway, in the political world and what's happening out there, the Ken Miller's trial, and we think of the warfare out there. And that's true. I'm not denying that there is a warfare out there. But the main warfare for the kingdom of God is in the hearts of man. It's that, I, that Jesus Christ can come inside my heart and take out pride. And those, um, I'm thinking of a Spanish word again, ataduras, those um, bondages in my heart. That's where the kingdom of God is released in the church. I hope you understand that. The kingdom of God is not released by who's preaching up front here. It's what the Holy Spirit is doing in our hearts. And the Holy Spirit is releasing the bondages the, the, of doubt and of, of sin and things in our own lives. Releasing the bondage within. It's what the Spirit of God does among us. And He does it in the context of brotherhood. As we work together and love one another. And Satan attacks that. And where is our... We mentioned how difficult it is to keep a brotherhood. It's hard to keep a brotherhood. Where is the problem with brotherhood? In our hearts, attitudes. We can't love the brother because he looks at it a little different than I do. He makes mistakes and I don't like him. Our struggle with the brotherhood is again in the heart and resolving the problems with the brothers. Have you ever tried to get together with a brother and tried to resolve a problem? You talk three hours and both of you almost get red in the face trying to talk this thing out and you don't get anywhere. We can do that in a marriage too. But when I turn and come to Jesus, and I cry and I break and I humble myself, all at once, it looks differently. And I can love my brother. When we meet at the cross, brokenhearted, brotherhood, spiritual brotherhood, it's to cast down these things in our hearts. It's to break our inner pride 
our self-centeredness, bring our total being under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And I'd like to encourage you. I don't want to be negative. But I have found that some of the most, maybe it's because of our carnality, but for me, some of the most growing experiences in my spiritual life are my Gethsemanes. I can sense tremendous struggles inwardly sometimes. I can wake up nights and I can struggle. I can think of all the things that someone else has wrong and I can, wow, can I argue. And sure, I can prove my point that I'm right and the others are all wrong. But the solution to that, that's carnality. That's what destroys the church of Jesus Christ. But the solution is our Gethsemane. Die. Let it go. Crucify ourselves. Spiritual wisdom is just remembering that. Let's work with the hearts. Let's care about the hearts. My heart first. That's why if you need to go talk to a brother about something, please take time and get your heart ready first. Just to go talk, just bump heads and argue, just while stay home. Get your heart ready. To go talk spiritually. Now, one last point. The righteousness of the spiritual kingdom is different than the righteousness of the Old Testament. And sometimes we misunderstand this and we have this struggle in ourselves. And in Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus addresses this problem. And in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, first of all, he talks about the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the, they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the meek. And then he goes on to say, and he says, if your righteousness is not greater than the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you're, you're, not, you're not making it. Now what is he saying? And he goes on to tell us that in the Old Testament, as long as I didn't kill my brother, I was okay. As long as I didn't touch the woman and commit adultery, I was okay. As long as I didn't... Um, these outward things. And I, I sort of like to use this compared like this. We have this idea that we have a boundary here and we have a boundary here. And as long as I stay within the boundaries, I'm okay. As long as we're thinking that way, we're thinking the Old Testament way. And it's not going to work. In this system of, well, I'm not stepping outside this and I'm not stepping, I, I, I'm staying between these two. And I'm staying here so I am righteous. And this also comes into the thing of comparing. Well, he does it. So if he does, I can. She does it. So if she does, I can. And we're losing again. We have these boundaries out here. And we think that as long as I don't bash out his teeth, I'm okay. But the New Testament is totally different. The New Testament is a, is a much finer line. The New Testament is much, you're not going to like this word I'm going to use, stricter. Now, when I use strict, I'm saying it's more fine-tuned. I remember, Leon, was it you? I remember some of you cousins, older cousins, used to play the violin. I remember years ago, I saw some of you. Was it, did you play the violin? Or was it some of the Ernest boys? Am I right? Oh, was that Azera? Okay. One of the times we were together. But if you have the instrument, I don't know how to play instrument. But you take that, and you, I know, know this, you have to take them, tune them just right. Get them real fine-tuned. The, the New Testament righteousness is much more fine-tuned. It's not these boundaries out here. As long as I'm within them, I'm okay. 
There's a much finer tune, and it's a little fine line. It's loving Jesus and following Jesus. It's not a thing of looking, well, as long as I don't step out here, as long as I don't step out here. No, it's simply, I am following Jesus. And what Jesus would do, I will do. What Jesus would not do, I would not do. And that's much finer, and I can say much stricter. You don't like that word, maybe. But it's much narrower than the Old Testament. Because now, even the way I think about the woman, even the way I think about my brother, and that's victory, is the way I think about my brother. If you have a tremendous struggle with a brother or a sister or your father, it's the way you think about them. It's a much finer-tuned righteousness. It is the heart of righteousness. And there is where Jesus is beautiful. You know, we'd say, oh, I can never do that. How can I ever meet that? I can never meet God's righteousness. Well, you repent. And admit your sin and your pride and your selfishness. You break in the presence of Jesus. And you love him with the Abba Father. And you love him and you keep that. Just you do what the love for Jesus would do. And Romans 8 says, talking about walking in the spirit, then we fulfill the righteousness of the law. The law is out here. Actually, the law is much wider. But the New Testament with Jesus in my heart and living for Jesus and loving Jesus, and I'm tuned to Jesus, to be like him. Of course, it's good to remember who God is, fear God, and to live for Jesus. That's why I like, I like to tell people at home, I like to tell you young people here, it's not that complicated. It's not that, you don't need a lot of theology and a lot of books and a lot of points and a lot of papers. It's just simply love Jesus. And say, I'm going to live for Jesus. And what Jesus would do, that's what I'll do. And if Jesus would, this, if, you know, some of us want to make this commitment. If Jesus would not do it, I'm not going to do it. Just live for Jesus. And the righteousness of the law will be fulfilled. And it's the living Jesus. And we are an expression of the living Jesus. The, the manifestation of God in humanity, in Jesus, and then in us. Is that we love Jesus and we just live for Him. And look around you. Young people, look around you. Don't, don't be critical. I don't want to, but look around you and observe. Notice the people that just simply love Jesus. You'll see the joy of the Lord in their faces. You see they're, they're serving the Lord with all their hearts. They suffer. Oh, they suffer sometimes. But they come through with a broken heart, loving Jesus. And they say, after the suffering, Jesus is closer to me. Some time ago, I have a daughter who's suffered a lot physically. Praise the Lord. She's, the Lord's picked her up, and she's dating now. She's, we're thinking about maybe having a wedding soon. I mean, not yet, but, you know, we're excited because a few years ago, a wedding was way out of, we wouldn't even have thought about it. We cried. I cried with her giving that up because her health was such she wouldn't even thought about marriage. I mean, it was out. But anyway, one day we were together with a group of people and someone gave this idea that, you know, if we have enough faith, if we just have enough faith and be enough in God, we wouldn't have to have all these sickness. We could be healthy. If we simply have faith, we could be healthy. And I was concerned about that because I was afraid of what was happening in Anita's heart. With all her suffering. So we were driving in the van, and, and I said, Nita, you know, I said, fam, you know what that person said? 
there's a deeper faith than just the faith of, if I'd have enough faith, I wouldn't have to suffer. And I tried to explain it, the faith that believes in Jesus and suffering. And, and then she, she answered it so well. She said, Daddy, if I would not have suffered, I would not be so close to Jesus. I've seen this again and again where she thanks Jesus. She thanks the Lord for her suffering because it has drawn her closer to Jesus. That's the real faith. You know, Jesus, the gospel doesn't offer us a cheap, easy faith. He asks us for a serious deep committed faith that even through suffering even through difficulty we believe and we love him I'm getting sort of carried away with something else here maybe the Lord wanted for some of you here suffering but uh, the main thing about the righteousness of Jesus the righteousness of the kingdom of God Jesus said the kingdom of God is not out where you think it is it's not in the building it's the same building you had for years isn't it it's not in the building the kingdom of God is among you. It's in our hearts. And it's the righteousness of God. And it's a kingdom very fine-tuned. The righteousness of Jesus Christ. And young people or older people, it's, it's not that complicated. If you have some pride, you have some things you need to take care of, please do. Get them out. If there's some things that are like bondage in your life, you maybe you need to look for help. Do that. Get help. Get release. Have someone pray with you and lay your hands on you so you can be free from some of the things in your life. And then just with a broken, humble heart, with the Abba Father, just live for Jesus. <laughs> and again, we can all do it. You don't need to be smart. You don't need to be handsome. You don't need to be pretty. You don't need to have a lot of money. We don't need to be anyone else except just me. And just be what Jesus would be in my circumstances. Just live for Jesus. And the righteousness of the law is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is moving, is going. God bless you.